Good morning. I think it would be good if I actually had this on. Um, We're so glad that you are here with us. It's okay. It's all good. I'm I'm glad. I, as I've always said, I'd rather hear a child crying than an old man snoring. Amen to that. Amen. So we are glad that you are here uh, during this this wonderful time. We have um, a guest speaker today. You may may know him, uh, Rob Valentine. Is that did I get your name correct? Okay, so uh, Rob, in your honor, we went ahead and changed the marquee out front to have you back in your same spot as associate pastor. No, we didn't change it. <laughs> but since you're here, I didn't want to, Yeah, at some point we will find that key at some point and change it. But anyway, Rob, it is a joy um, to see you here and to hear your message. Uh, and, and the rest of the family uh, being here too. Yeah, it's Rob and the rest. Yes. Um, but it, it, it is glad to have you here and for you to share your story and your testimony because um, it is one that is very powerful. Um, the announcements this week... Um, for those in Coffee Shop Theology, we are going to be meeting here uh, this Tuesday, so remember that. Um, let's see, any other? We are going to have Bible study this Wednesday. The n- next Wednesday on the June the 16th, we will not. Uh, I will be on vacation uh, the 10th through the 17th. Um, and Chris Lair is going to be preaching next uh, Sunday. Uh, Chris uh, has just gotten back from overseas serving our men and women uh, in the military, and so we're looking forward to hearing from him. Any other announcements to be made before I move on? Okay, today we get to honor our graduates, our our graduating um, seniors, Yeah, that's it. Graduating seniors from high school. Not just seniors, because a lot of the seniors would come up and want a gift. So it's just our graduating high school seniors. So I'm going to call Jordan and Rebecca and Caitlin to come up at this point. Caitlin Becker and Rebecca Straup and Jordan Oscom, if you'll come over here in front. Um, stand, face me. I, it's me first, and then you can turn around. First of all, I want to give you these things, and want to say how proud we are of each of you. Um, and as you change from this place to whatever whatever God has in your life, that we're praying God's blessings on each of you. So let's pray now, gracious Lord. Thank you so much for these young ladies. And I ask your blessings upon them as they start a new chapter. That whatever is going on in their lives, that you were there watching over them, but also that their 
keeping their eyes on you. So, Lord, bless them. Bless their families as they go through this transition. Lord, bless them richly. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's give them a round of applause. You may go back and sit. Now, um, at this time, let us pray. Gracious Lord, as we begin this service, help us with our thoughts, that our thoughts revolve around you, that everything that is going on in our lives, Lord, that we can set aside to keep our focus on you, to praise you because of everything that you've done. So, Lord, thank you that we can gather here. Help us now to sing, to pray, and to listen for you in all that we do, keeping our eyes focused on you each day. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I guess that's my cue. Yeah. Good morning, everybody. Good to see all your smiling faces this morning. There's a lot of smiling faces this morning. I'm a little nervous now. If we could all stand and sing. Your grace is enough. There we go. Let's try that. So remain. 
This is always one of my dad's favorites. <clears throat> Never 
You okay? <laughs> so, so Chris, first of all, are you okay? Okay, you're going to need to pay for that. Okay. <laughs> Um, glad you're okay. Um, Dave, I think we need to replace some of the chairs up there. Just, I, I think those are the original chairs when this uh, church was built. So I would, I would assume. So, no, no, don't move to another one. You might break that one. Okay, we're glad you're. We're glad you're good. I'm glad all of us were laughing as you were falling, so we're good. So we're, gl- we're glad you're okay. And, and next week he'll be preaching. So, no, <laughs> got to make sure this pulpit won't fall. Okay, anyway, as we're coming to this time of prayer, um, I'm thinking of... of the opportunities that we have to worship God, uh, the opportunities that God has given us, the blessings that God has given us, um, and how much he loves us and the grace that he's given to us. Uh, And you're going to hear a little bit more about that when Rob comes up. But the amazing thing that God has done in his life, but actually what he's done in your life, And this is where we need to be very honest and say, God, thank you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for caring for us. And with that, are there prayer concerns and praises that you would like to share at this time? Got one down front? Okay. Hold on, I don't... Adam, is that mic on? Let's try again. Thank you, Adam. Prayers for our friend Donna, who was hurt in an RV accident and is in the hospital in serious condition in South Carolina. Okay, for your friend Donna in South Carolina. Okay, we'll be praying for healing for her. I ask for prayers for Marlene. She keeps getting tests done, and she keeps getting through the test okay, but she's still having an awful time breathing. And also, praises, we celebrate our 53rd anniversary on June the 1st, and I'd marry Sam all over again, praise God. And he's been such a help to me during these last two months. And I finally got in and out of my claw foot tub. 
Okay, well, we're, we're praying for you. Uh, as you were saying that you would marry uh, Sam all over again, he was shaking his head no, so I don't know <laughs> what that means. You're welcome, Sam. Like, I was going to let that one go. Um, but we're so, we're so happy, and happy anniversary to you, to you both. And we do want to pray for Marlene. She did have a heart catheterization on Friday. It was clear, um, but in talking with her on Thursday, um, she just can't get her breath. And the lungs are fine, the heart's fine. They just don't know. So we need to keep uh, Marlene in prayer. So any other concerns? Thelma. Uh, the songs this morning meant so much to me, the love and grace of God, because Thursday I was diagnosed with kidney cancer. Um, it has to be taken care of as soon as possible, and I just trust in God, and uh, I do rest on his grace, and um, I love him, and keep Arvo in your prayers, because you know how he'll make me do things. <laughs> Take your pills. <laughs> but pray for me. Thank you. Well, we, we certainly will pray for, for Thelma. Uh, Thelma and I talked briefly, and she let me know what was going to be going on. And so um, we're praying that they'll be able to get all of that cancer at once. And Arvo, we are praying for you for uh, getting that breathing back uh, on track. And so we're praying for both of you uh, very mightily. Any other prayer concerns? Okay, we have... Okay, she's, she's coming to you. Um, praises that the Rosados, Chris's sister's family, uh, made it here safely from Massachusetts and closed down their house and are... Settling in, um, I'm going to close on the other house, so praises for that. And it's Adam's birthday, Sarah's husband, Adam, um, turns, what, 42 today? So (laughs) glad they're here and all of that. Yes, thank you for for bringing that up. Uh, The Rosarios are living in the parcel. Rosados. Rosados. There you go. Okay, you're going to help me with that. It means pink in Spanish. Okay. so that family that she just mentioned uh, are actually living in our parsonage uh, for the next few weeks. So if you see people coming in and out of the parsonage, it's okay. So we're, we're just glad that they're here and that they're, they're semi-moved in. Amy, do you have anything from Zoom? Not from Zoom, but while Lisa's mentioning that it's Adam Rosado's birthday today, it's Adam McKelvey's birthday today too. But he's not 42. He's a little younger than that. So. Just a little Just younger. A little bit, so. Okay, well, happy birthdays. Donna? Um, prayers for a friend and pastor of ours in Virginia. Pastor Gail has COVID. She's been given 24 hours to live, so please be with the family. Uh, well, we would certainly be praying for, for Dale. Um, yeah, to be a minister and to have that and, and going on, yeah. So, praying for, praying for her. Dale. Gale. Gale. Okay, sorry, Gale. Um, yeah, we were praying for her uh, coffee shop that she had gotten COVID and 
was really serious. So uh, prayers for her. Any other prayer concerns or praises? Do you have one? Uh, yeah, I do. Um, praise God that we actually have everyone here and we are back to like full capacity and everyone's like not spaced out anymore. So, yeah, we're all glad that they're coming to see Rob. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Rob, 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 blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I miss you. I, I really do. I'm, I'm sure they. I'm sure they probably did something about Rob is great or something. I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, we are, we are glad that, that actually getting back to, to, well, as we say, to normal, but there's a concern there that during this pandemic, we've all gotten closer to God. And so for us to get back to normal, forgetting where we've been, I don't want that. So when people said, oh, we'll get back to normal, no, I, I want us to get closer to God and that we don't forget how great God is and that he got us through this. And so we should be living uh, a life of praise that God is, God is incredible. And you're going to be hearing that soon. So with that, let us go to the Lord in prayer. Gracious Lord, what a joy it is that we can come, that we can gather here, that we can praise your name, that we can lift our concerns and praises out to our family, to our church family, that we have been called by the Holy Spirit to be here. So Lord, we ask your blessings upon our children upon those who are moving from one grade to the next, but also our seniors that are making that transition. Lord, we, we often make transitions. And Lord, we have to come to realize that as we make transitions in life, it's not about those transitions. If you're not involved, then what's the point? Lord, you have to be the Lord of everything in our lives, every step. Lord, as we walk through life, we need to be about your will, about what you want us to do. Lord, forgive us when we've thought all about us, when we put ourselves first. Lord, forgive us. So, Lord, help us to reset our eyes on, your, on, on you, to not to worry, not to fear, but the Lord to trust you each and every day because you've brought us here. You've blessed us. And Lord, we say thank you. So Lord, for those concerns that we've mentioned, those that are at the end of life, not only Gail in Virginia, but we're also lifting up um, Louise down in, in Florida. Those that are coming towards the end, Lord, I pray that they know you, that they know that their soul is protected. Lord, for those that are going through procedures, those that will have surgeries coming up, those that are 
still trying to figure out, or the doctors are trying to figure out, what is going on. Lord, we ask for wisdom. We ask for patience. We ask for comfort and healing. Lord, for families that are moving close to one another, for those going on trips, for those who are just going about their day, Lord, help us to live in the moment on this day because you have provided everything that we need and that should suffice. So, Lord, hear our prayers. Hear our prayers. Thank you, Lord, for the healing. Thank you for the blessings and thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
Good morning, church. It's good to see all of you. Are we on? Is it working? Maybe? Yes? Wow, it's like an old shoe. It, it feels so comfortable to be back here. It is great to see all of you again. And I have to tell you, it feels good to be able to be seen. As many of you know, I really shouldn't be here today. So I have a couple things that I need to start with just to um, set the tone. One, if you see me moving around and it looks like I have to go to the bathroom, it's not. Um, one of the side effects of everything that I had going on is if I stand still too long, my leg goes numb. So I have to kind of keep moving or I kind of fall over. We don't want that to happen. And the second thing is, I just want to warn you, don't look at your watch and the doors aren't locked. I don't know how long we're going to be here and you will not offend me if you have to go out for a bathroom break. But I promise it won't be like the first sermon that I did, or it could have been the second or third that was an hour and a half long. won't be like that. If you remember that far back, yeah, I do. Hey, I got to tell you, this is a difficult message for me to give. It's difficult to tell this story, so if I pause, don't worry. I just got to catch myself here a little bit. But, um, yeah, this one is about how good God is and how broken we are. And that goes for all of us. And this is where pastors get to be real. And I'm going to be very real with you and how broken I was. And so if you look at the title of this message, it's titled, The Faithful God, The Miracle and the repentant pastor. So I need to tell you how I got there, how I got to be a repentant pastor. On March 30th, I had been diagnosed with COVID a week prior on on the 22nd. Um, I was okay for a little while, felt run down, a little broken here and there, a little bit of a cough. And on March 30th, it was so bad I had to go to the emergency room. Now, I had been to one emergency room before that, and uh, they sent me home saying there was nothing they could do, but I had to go. I wasn't breathing well at all. So I went down to Lancaster General, and they brought me immediately into the ER, did some evaluations, and I did the nod to sign for them to do stuff because I couldn't sign, I couldn't talk, I couldn't do much. And they did a series of antivirals and steroids and nebulizers and everything to get me to breathe, but it wasn't working. So they admitted me to the hospital. And once they admitted me to the hospital, they even did antibody therapy. And this is a couple days in. The antibody therapy worked. It was pretty neat. I got to tell you, um, I regained my smell and taste hours after having the antibody therapy. I mean, hours, literally hours. And this is where I got into a little bit of trouble with my wife, because they offered, this is how I knew I had smell back, they offered me a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and I said, this is the best peanut butter and jelly sandwich I've ever had. And my wife said, you don't say that at home when I make you peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. (laughs) But it was because I could finally smell and taste again. But it didn't stay good. Things quickly went downhill. And on the 31st, just one day later, They sent me to the ICU. And a few days after that, it went downhill fast. And on Easter Sunday, 
I went into respiratory failure. And the doctor, well, there were multiple doctors, came over to me. I did not have my glasses on. I did not have my hearing aid in, so I couldn't see and I couldn't hear. And they had me on this breathing machine that sounded like a freight train going through your head. And they said, Mr. Valentine, we're going to need to place you on a ventilator. We can't keep your O2 sats up high enough. And I went, I shook my head, yes, because I couldn't talk. I couldn't breathe. I was turning blue. And I texted my wife. And this had to be the worst text anybody could ever get. And I didn't realize it, but I had pre-planned this text. It was two texts. One was, I'm going on a ventilator. They're going to call you now. And the other one was about this long with what Kim should do if I weren't to make it. I couldn't imagine having to read that text, but I wanted to make sure that I sent it. Now, I want to explain to you, and this is going to be tough. Parents, you, you may want to explain to your children after this that this is not the normal. But this is where we get into the thick of things. There are, and I'm not a doctor, so bear with me on this. I don't know the exact medical terms and what goes on. But there's essentially three medications that they give you when they're going to intubate you, put a tube in to your lungs so that you can breathe and put you on a ventilator. The first one is to put you to sleep. You don't want to be awake during that. It's not a good thing. Um, The second one is calms you down and has to do with your memory so that you really don't remember what went on. And the third one is a paralytic. They paralyze your body so that the ventilator can do what it's supposed to do and breathe for you and you don't start tearing tubes out and things like that. Only one of them worked. Only the paralytic worked. I was awake on the ventilator. I don't know if it was for five minutes, ten minutes, a day, or the entire week I was on the ventilator but I was awake. Now, I want you to imagine just for a moment, some of you may have experienced this before if you have any breathing issues. Imagine you're in a room like this and there's all this fresh, great air that you can breathe, but you don't have the power to inhale. You have to wait for a machine to inflate your lungs with air. I felt like I was drowning in air. It gets worse because you can't exhale until the machine decides to do it for you. And what was probably only seconds felt like an eternity. It was the worst experience I had ever gone through in my life to be drowning and awake during it and not able to move. I couldn't blink, I couldn't move my arms. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't tell them what I was experiencing. It was rough. I truly, truly thought that I was in hell. I've never experienced anything so difficult in my life before. And this is the part where I broke. This is the part where I said, and I I remember this prayer. This is my first prayer to God. If you are such a good God, why am I going through this? 
What have I done to deserve this? Haven't I served you? Don't I love you? If you're so good, why am I? And I thought was hell. Why am I in hell or on the brink of it? This isn't fair. And here's the second part of me breaking. I didn't say get me through this. I didn't say I trust you. I said if this is what it's like, just let me die. That was my prayer. I couldn't handle it. Physically, obviously. Emotionally, I was broken. And my trust wavered. Now, I'm not claiming to be a prophet or to hear God's voice in my ear. Please do not hear that. But we all know that in our lives at times, God does respond to us, yes? Sometimes with a yes, sometimes with a no, sometimes with a not yet. God's response to me, loud and clear in my heart, was, shh, we'll talk about this later. I didn't know what to make of that. Does that mean that he's going to grant me my prayer and let me die? Does it mean that he's going to pull me through this? I don't know. I do know that I was on the vent for an entire week. My family couldn't visit me. Kim wasn't allowed to come in. I was in ICU on the ventilator. But my entire family, all except one or two people who couldn't make it, my entire family got together on a Zoom call and they put the camera in front of me on the vent. Not so that I could talk to them, but so they could see me and potentially say goodbye. It's like 35 people on one Zoom call. There's a lot of people. So, after about a week of being on a ventilator, the doctor said, we need to get them off. If we don't, we're looking at some major damage, some lung issues, lung transplant kind of thing. I have a friend right now who's going through that exact scenario. So the first attempt failed miserably. I couldn't breathe. My O2 sats weren't high enough. And a few hours later, they didn't think it was going to work again. They thought things were going downhill really, really fast. They tried one more time, and I was able to come off the ventilator. From there, they moved me from the ICU to the IICU, kind of in limbo. Here's the crazy thing. That's the first time Kim was able to visit. I was unconscious, I was still sedated, and I heard her voice for the first time. It was the first time that I could tell you that things were okay in my heart. I thought it was a bad dream, and i got to be honest with you, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I thought there were some really nefarious things going on when I was unconscious, and I would wake up a little bit and hear somebody say, Mr. Valentine, do you know where you're at? You're in the hospital with COVID. I had no recollection of any of that happening. I thought it was a hoax. Which leads to my second prayer. I was calmer, but I was just as defiant to God. And here's the crazy part. 
him heard my words in that prayer because I was speaking it out loud. She didn't hear God's side of it, but she heard my side of it. And it had to be pretty confusing because it sounded like I was having a conversation with someone. And that's what she tells me. And here's what it boils down to. I'm not going to give you all the, the detail. If you ask me if I saw a bright light, I didn't. If you ask me if I saw, heard music, I did. And I certainly can't describe it to you. Words cannot describe. But here's what Kim heard. Can I wake up today? No? Okay. How about tomorrow? And then she heard, okay, I guess tomorrow then. And that was it. Kim was trying to calm me down, probably thinking I was delirious at the time, because again, I was sedated and unconscious during all of this. And so she goes home that night, and the next morning she has a Bible study that she's going to that you hadn't been to in a while, right, because of everything that was going on. Now, I have to tell you, something happened that next morning at 5 o'clock. I was still fully sedated, but I woke up. It was 5.30 in the morning. I woke up. Now, understand, I'm so weak, I can't even lift my head to look around the room. But I woke up. I woke up and I knew where I was. I woke up and I was able to breathe. I woke up and I hit the nurse call button. I don't know how I hit it. It was down here next to me and I couldn't even see it. And the nurse came in and said, Mr. Valentine, you're awake. I said, yes, I am. She said, and you're talking. I said, is that a problem? She said, well, you've been intubated for over a week. You shouldn't be able to talk right now. And I didn't have the tube in me. They, they extubated me. They took it out. But apparently, it can do some damage to when you're able to talk. But she said, but you're awake. I said, yes. She said, let me go get you something to help calm you, to let you get some sleep. I said, no. She said, why not? I said, I want to see the doctor. She said, the doctor's not going to be in for two or three hours yet. It's 5.30 in the morning. I said, I'll wait. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> 7.30, doctor comes in. Walks in the room and goes, Mr. Valentine. I said, yes. You're awake. I am. And you're sitting up. I said, yeah. Is that a problem? Well, you shouldn't be. And I said, why not? He said, because people in your condition were surprised even if they survive, let alone able to sit up and talk at any time. He said, is it okay if I check you out? I said, by all means, just like that, by all means. So he gets my vitals. He listens to my lungs. And he said, oh, oh, okay. Oh, 
I said, it sounds bad. I said, I'm breathing. He said, your lungs are clear. I said, yeah, is that a problem? He said, they weren't. You've been on a ventilator for over a week. This shouldn't be. And my friends, I have to tell you, I have just at that moment personally experienced my very first miracle. I should not have had clear lungs. I should not have been alive. It happened that fast. Now, after all of that, I said to the doctor and the nurses that were in the room, and there were a lot of people in the room with me because they just couldn't believe what was going on. I said, can I call my wife? And they all scrambled and said, yes, absolutely. Do you know your wife's phone number? Now, I got to tell you, again, I'm still sedated, so things aren't very lucid or clear. I said, I don't. I'm trying to go through it in my mind. I said, I know my parents' phone number, and I rattled it off. I said, call them. They'll give you her phone number. And one of the nurses said, you know your parents' number, but not your wife's? (laughs) I said, I grew up with my parents' phone number. That was my household number. My wife is a picture on my phone that I push. (laughs) Well, they found the number. And this is the part, Kim was on her way to Bible study, and she looked at the phone after daily phone calls of Lancaster General Hospital calling her, usually with not good news. She sees the the phone number on the other end, and from what she said, she just about fainted because it could not be good news. She was expecting the worst because they don't call in the morning. So she picks up the phone, and this is what I said. Hey, good looking, how you doing? (laughs) Now, the last time she saw me, I was unconscious and babbling. She did not expect this. And again, she probably almost fainted. But we had a good conversation. She said, I'm surprised to hear from you. Like, you're talking. (laughs) Yeah, is that okay? I didn't say that to her. But we had a conversation. I said, I'm doing pretty good. I can talk. I'm awake, and the doctor said my lungs are clear. So, Kim skips Bible study and comes down right away. And we hang out for a little while. She's like, I can't believe this. I can't believe the change that I'm seeing. What's going on? It got so good after that that they actually moved me to a regular room. And I got to tell you, that they usually give you, and they did with me, um, anti-delirium medication right? Because there's a confusing state that you can, you're in after all the medications that you're on. And they were giving it to me, and things started to clear up in my mind while I was in a regular room. Things are a little foggy, but I'm starting to piece things together and understanding what's going on. And here's my third prayer in this little miracle. For me, it was a big miracle. This is what I asked God. Where were you? Where were you when I needed you? My wife came to visit me. And where were you? And this is what I got back. Rob, I love you as my son. Who do you think was there when Kim wasn't? That entire week that I was on a ventilator, God was with me. He was there. He was there to walk alongside of me. 
that God that's so far, way up in heaven, suffered along with me. Parents can't imagine having to go through something with your child that was that devastating. And there was God right alongside of me. I didn't perceive him. I didn't see him. I didn't hear him. But he was there, loving me, holding my hand when I couldn't hold his. God was faithful, even when I wasn't. I have to tell you, because of that, because of recognizing that God was there that whole time, this pastor, this person, this child of the one true king, this disciple of Christ, had to repent. I had to repent for two things. Number one was for questioning God's sovereignty. God is good all the time, amen? Even when we don't see it? Yeah. Even when we don't feel it? Yeah. And I question him. If you are such a good God. And then I had to repent for one more thing. God gave us the gift of life. And I didn't ask him to spare mine. I asked him to end it. How mixed up do you have to be? We all get there some point. We all get mixed up in our priorities and the way things look. And I was. I just wanted my life to end. And that's not what God has in store for any of us. Well, eventually it will end. Don't get me wrong. But it's a gift. And we're to enjoy that gift. And I wasn't. And I had to repent for that. And this prayer lasted hours through the night. Hours I talked with God. And through it all, I had an overwhelming feeling of God's faithfulness and His grace and His mercy and His undying love. It took that prayer in my life to recognize, and we're going to go to Romans 8 real quick, for me to have a truer understanding. It's on the screen. I'm reading out of the NLT, or you can follow along. Romans 8, 35 through 39. This is where it really impacted me. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Ha As the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No. Despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life. Neither angels nor demons. Neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. 
No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It's sunk in. I realized it for the first time in my life that God won't abandon me, that he's still there with us. And I have this new second opportunity in life. And I ended my prayer that night with God. Actually, it was early in the morning at that point with God. And I said, okay, what now? What do I do? What do I do with this? And here's what he said. You ready? I'll lead. Follow me. I heard that somewhere before. I think it was Jesus who said it. Follow me. God said, I'll lead, follow me. I had no clear direction as to what was going to happen. But God said, follow me. And this, my friends, turns into how God gets glorified. You ready for this? I didn't realize how incredible my story was. And I call it my story because I experienced it. It's really God's story. I didn't realize how incredible it was. Until, and I am not exaggerating when I say 20, but it's probably closer to 30. I'll say 20, though. About 20 doctors, nurses, and nurse practitioners came to my room over a day's period of time. All separate. All of them saying the same two things. Every one of them said the same two things. Different ways, but they said the same two things. Number one is, you shouldn't be alive today. We just wanted to see you. We just wanted to see you with our own eyes because you shouldn't have made it. By the way, I found out afterwards that I was listed as the sickest person in Lancaster General Hospital. It's a level one trauma center. So to be listed as the sickest person in a level one trauma center, that's a big deal. I don't think I want that title ever again, though. But they all came in. They all said, just want to see you with their own eyes. You should not be alive today. And the second thing was, same thing, every person. The second thing was, it wasn't just the medicine. Why do you think you're still alive today? (laughs) You want to hear a renewed evangelistic heart? You want to hear a pastor who all of a sudden just gets so excited he's about three inches off the ground? That was it. Here was my answer. It was different for every person because they asked me in a different way, but here was my answer. Because God's not done with me yet. Because my God created medicine and he's just finishing what you've started. Because my God loves me. Because my God is stronger than COVID. There were others. But you get the point. Every person who came through that door asked me those two questions and I got to give them what God had done for me. Just my testimony. I didn't say, this is what scripture says. I didn't dive into that. I didn't dive into, this is the theology behind it. Although in Christianese, we talk about that stuff all the time. All I did was say, God was good. There was one doctor who came in. And the person who was in before this doctor um, was a believer, and they were talking about prayer, 
and said, did you, you must have had a lot of people praying for you. And I said to this person, and the doctor overheard, and yes, by the way, I do recognize you all were praying for me, and I thank you from the bottom of my heart that you were, that you cared for me and my family that much. And I expressed that to the nurse who was in. And she said, you must have had a lot of people. I said, that I know of, I had people from the Ukraine to Papua New Guinea, down to South America. I've got an entire denomination of people that are praying for me around the world and people that I don't even know. And the nurse smiled. And this doctor walks in behind her as the nurse is leaving, says, so, you think it was prayer that saved you? And I said, no. And I got this look. You know that look? You probably just had it a moment ago because we always talk about how prayer is so good and so effective, and it is. But it wasn't the prayer that saved me. It was the one we prayed to. It was God. And the doctor looked at me and paused. And she said, I'm going to stop talking now because the next thing that's going to come out of my mouth is something that's unscientific. Think about that for a moment. Faith just took a foothold in someone's life at that moment that probably wasn't there before. And we smiled, and she left. I have to tell you what I've experienced. I have to tell you what I've learned. This is what I've learned. Proverbs 3. Let me get to my page in here. Proverbs 3. It's on the screen. Here it is. This is my lesson. This is why you didn't have a scripture in the beginning, because this is it for me. You ready for this? Here we go. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Okay, Rob, speaking right to me. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. Here we go. It gets real. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And here's where it gets personal for me. Then you will have healing for your body and strength for your bones. They don't teach you this in seminary. They do. They teach you what it means. But they can't teach you what it means in here. And I just lived through that. I thought I knew it all. I was angry with God because I misunderstood Him. I was angry with God because I didn't perceive Him. I wondered if God was truly there. And if He existed at that point even though I was talking to him. And yet he was graceful and merciful to me. It's a huge lesson in my life. The miracle continued. They moved me to a rehab facility afterwards because I had lost over 50 pounds of muscle mass. For some reason, sickness doesn't take the fat I literally lost 50 pounds. I had to gain some of it back just to be released from the hospital, but it was all muscle mass. I had been lying in a bed still for an entire month. I didn't have enough. Oh, here, try that. I want you to try something. Everybody do me a favor. This is kind of fun. 
I'm not ignoring you guys either. I'll come over on this side this time. I just want you to reach up for a second and scratch your eyebrow. Just reach up and scratch your eyebrow real quick. That took me three days. Three days my eyebrow itched. And my arms were at my sides. I had wires and tubes everywhere. But I did not have the strength to lift my arms up any higher than three or four inches. And on the third day, I figured out how to wiggle myself around and use two arms at the same time to scratch. So they sent me to a rehab facility. The doctors there said, you were on a ventilator for a week. We suggest three to four days for every day you're on a ventilator. That's about what it turns out to be. So by those means, it should have been three or four weeks that I was in the rehab center. Well, I'll tell you what. Um, I went in, and I had to relearn to walk. I couldn't walk. I could for a little bit. I had a walker, and Max was able to visit at one point, and I had a walker. And afterwards, he said that I reminded him of Larry with the walker. (laughs) I thought you'd get a kick out of that. And that's what I thought of too. Well, they did a cognitive test. Here's where the miracle continues. You ready? They did a cognitive test. If you don't know what a cognitive test is, they test your memory. (laughs) Yeah, I get a memory like a sieve to begin with. It's not good. And so they started out. If anybody ever offers to give you one of these and you don't have to take it, don't take it. I I was so anxious. I'm going to give you 10 things to remember. That's what they said to me. That's what the lady said. I'm going to give you 10 things to remember. I want you to repeat them back to me then. I said, well, could you go slow so that I could categorize them in my head? Because that's the way my mind works. And she said, no. No? Okay. She repeated it four times. I finally got the 10 of them. And then they had me draw this picture. Well... She said, I want you to draw a picture of this. I said, well, I'm no artist, but I'll try. And so I copied it down, and it was jaggly because I couldn't even sign my name. And I did it. And then she told me a story. She said, I want you to repeat this entire story back to me. And it was filled with numbers (laughs) and times and dates and things like that. I eventually got it. And then she goes to me, I want you to draw that picture for me again. I said, okay, show it to me and I'll draw it. She said, no, I want you to draw it from memory. It was all geometric shapes all over the place. We're all done. I said, are we finished? She said, yep, just one more thing. This is 40 minutes later. Yep, just one more thing. What? Name those 10 things again. Are you kidding? Here's the miracle, because it's not me. When we were done, I said, how'd I do? She said, you scored a 91. I said, oh, she said, yeah, oh. I said, what, that's not good? What's it out of, a thousand? She said, no, it's out of a hundred. You're in the 91st percentile for cognitive testing. I said, what's the normal? She said, 50%. I, she looked at me and she goes, I would like to meet you when you're feeling better. I said, it's not going to get any better than that, trust me. <laughs> but God was graceful with me. He was able to help me keep thinking and working through things. And I do believe that it was the prayer that really sparked that. 
So I go over and I start, they're teaching me how to walk again. I'm doing physical therapy. And in two days, I'm walking the halls. Two days. I couldn't scratch my, my eyebrow, remember? It took me three days to do that. In rehab, it took me two days. That three to four weeks turned into five days and they kicked me out. They said, go home. Because I was walking. It continued. This miracle hasn't stopped yet. It's still going on today. When I left the hospital, they said, look, we're gonna, we have this long list of medications that we want you to take. You've got a couple things going on with you. We've noticed that you're probably diabetic. We had to give you insulin while you were there. I said, I'm not diabetic. They said, no, you, we had to give you insulin when you were in the hospital. We're thinking if you're not already, you're, you're at least pre-diabetic. So we're going to have to watch that and take care of that. And your liver's shutting down. Okay. Your enzymes are all over the place. We're not sure what's going on. We have to be careful with what we give you right now. We want you to go see your doctor as soon as you get out of the hospital and get some blood work done about three weeks from now. And that's what happened. And the blood work came back. Here's the miracle. It all came back normal. Everything. No blood sugar issues. No liver issues. All of it. God has healed me. And by the way, my leg hasn't fallen asleep yet. God has healed me completely, as far as I know, from this. I'm up to biking two miles without getting tired, which is a lot for somebody who couldn't walk a month earlier. My friends, I have to tell you, God is good, and he's always, always there. Even when we don't perceive him, even when our idea of who God is is wrong, he's still there to love and to care for us. All the way through history, it's been that way. All the way through history, from in Genesis to today. Genesis to Revelation, God has been there. God was there in the Garden of Eden, walking right next to Adam and Eve. And you all know what happened. We chose a different path than to listen to God. And so God, in His grace and His mercy, as a father of His children, said, you can't stay here, but I'm going to redeem you. So people were banished from the Garden of Eden. And the rest of history is filled with people choosing anything other than God and God going, come back to me. I still love you. Each and every one of you until the day that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to atone for our sins, to take sin upon himself and die on a cross, that we might be yet again called God's sons and daughters, children of the one true king. I'm going to go to Romans 5. This is a little lengthy. You don't have to follow along. You are welcome to if you want to. In Romans 5, verses 12 through 21, here's what it says. When Adam's sin, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, so death spread to everyone, for everyone sinned. Yes, people sinned even before the law was given, but it was not counted as sin because there was not yet any law to break. Still, everyone died. From the time of Adam to the time of Moses, 
even those who did not disobey an explicit commandment of God as Adam did. Now, Adam is a symbol, a representation of Christ who is yet to come. But there is a great difference between Adam's sin and God's gracious gift. For the sin of this one man, Adam, brought death upon many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of forgiveness to many through this other man, Jesus Christ. And the result of God's gracious gift is very different from the result of that one man's sin. For Adam's sin led to condemnation, but God's free gift leads to our being made right with God, even though we are guilty of many sins. For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many, but even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness for all who receive it will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man. Jesus Christ. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone, but Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. But because one other person obeyed God, many will be made righteous. God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they were, but people sinned more and more. God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord, from Adam to Christ, straight through. That's our history. People, that's not just Christian history. That's mankind's history. God was there in the beginning. God was there through Jesus Christ. God is here in your life today. Whether you're a believer or not, God is here in your life. I want to go to John 3, 18. Take me a second to get there in my Bible. John 3.18 says, There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him, but anyone who does not believe in him has already been judged for not believing in God's one and only Son. And the judgment is based on this fact. God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light, for their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for the fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right Come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. And if we look in 1 John, I'm sorry, not 1 John, John 1, verses 10 through 13, it reads, He came into the very world He created, but the world didn't recognize Him. He came to His own people, and they rejected Him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with physical birth, but resulting, not from physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. To all who receive him. God is there. God is with each and every one of us, whether we receive him or not. His blessings of a right relationship come through Jesus Christ and our acceptance of him. My friends... Mark 1, verse 15, 
says, is it actually up there? Yeah, I did put it up there. The time promised by God has come at last, he announced. The kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. I'm going to tell you right now, every time I hear repent and believe, I think of that crazy guy on the street in New York City that needs a shave and scraggly hair, and he has that sandwich board that says, the end is near. Repent and believe. But I'm going to tell you something. It's not so. That scripture shouldn't be associated there. That scripture wants us to do two things. Repent. Recognize that we don't think like God does. That we break his heart. That we don't follow him holistically. Repent means to change the way you think about something. Just recognizing and changing our way of thinking to God's way. And believe. We're to recognize not just who Jesus is and what he did, but to believe that he truly did it for me, for you, for each and every one of us. And we are to accept that free gift of Jesus Christ taking on our sins on the cross. (laughs) Judy, it goes through my mind, accept the gift graciously. John Gordon taught me that a long time ago. Repent and believe. Accept the free gift. Live a life dedicated to honoring God and enjoy God's mercy and His grace and His love every day. Understand, mercy is not getting what we deserve. We deserve to go to hell. What's hell? Well, there's different ideas of what it looks like or what the experience is, but I can tell you one thing hell is. Hell is a place that God is not. We deserve to not be in God's presence, but His mercy says otherwise. His grace is what gives, is getting what we don't deserve, which is a right relationship with God. So through His mercy and His grace, God is with us every day. So most of us in here, I know mostly everybody here, as far as I understand, we're all Christians. We're all disciples of Christ. Many of us. Some of us might not be. I'm going to pray a prayer. This is what they call an altar call. But I'm going to tell you, I don't like altar calls. There's two reasons. Number one, it's really difficult for some people to come up in front of everybody when they're trying to make this decision. And I understand that. So we'll do it right here from our pews. We'll pray together. But the other part is, it's the beginning and not the end. And many people think that an altar call is the end. Many people think that coming up and giving your life to Christ, I've done it, I'm good to go, rock on, I can live my life. And I'm telling you now, it's wrong. That altar call, that prayer that we pray, the sinner's prayer that we pray is the beginning of a whole new life. A whole new life in Christ. A whole new life experiencing God's love, mercy, and grace and living to glorify Him. So I'm going to pray this prayer. If you're not a believer, if you have not accepted Christ's free gift of salvation, this is your opportunity to, with me, you can, if you so choose to. You can pray this prayer along with me. If you already have, here's what I want you to do. I want you to pray for every person that could possibly be praying that prayer today. In this room. In your town. In your sphere of influence at work. Or at home or at school. I want you to pray for people who have not yet made that decision. Pray in your hearts that God will touch their hearts.
that sound good? Can we do that together? All right, let's pray to the Lord. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you recognizing that you are God and we are not. We recognize that we sin, we miss the mark, we don't choose you first in our lives. And so, Lord, we also recognize Scripture tells us and history shows us that you've already taken care of that through your Son, Jesus Christ. For that penalty of sin was death, and we can't pay that price. But you sent Jesus, the only one who could, to take on our sin, each one of us, upon him. And he died on the cross to pay that price. And he defeated sin for us. He defeated death for us. And Lord, I recognize that now. I recognize that you've given me a free gift of salvation. I recognize that Jesus did it for me. And Lord, I repent of my sins. I recognize that I'm wrong in the way I think, that you are right. And I want to live for you each and every day moving forward. And Lord, I would pray that you would bless me with your Holy Spirit, that I might be able to seek you first in every part of my life. Not just the trying times, not just the good times, not the hills, not the valleys, but everything in between. Lord, I recognize that you love me. And it's because of your love, nothing that I did or can earn that brings me to this place. And I pray that you would encourage me, that you would put people into my life that would lift me up, that I might glorify you to help me to understand all you've done. Lord, thank you. And it's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. And all God's children said, amen. Amen. God is with us, everyone. God is with us all the time. I'm living proof of it. If I would not have made it, God was still there. I'm just that one case that God gets to go, here, I'm going to show off a little bit. Nothing I did. God is good. He is with us. And he loves us. Thank you.
what an incredible story, a testimony of what God can do. Amen? Let's pray. Gracious Lord, thank you for the testimony. Thank, thank you for what you've done in Rob, and thank you for what you've done in us. And not because of anything that we've done, but what you've done. Thank you for your son. Thank you for forgiving us. Thank you for making us your children. Help us each and every day to trust you in all things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.